0: change careers, break into new industries, transition into new roles, reinvent yourself and make the dent you want. This is the Second Breaks podcast. And now, here's your host and fellow Second Breaker,
1: Lou Blazer. Hello, hello, my friend. We are in episode six of the Second Rigs podcast, and it's Monday, June 19th, 2017, as I record this episode. Today, our topic is creativity, how to get back or tap back into our natural creative well and incorporate our creative pursuits into our work life. Uh, but um, before I introduce you to my guest today, I just wanted to take a couple of seconds here to invite you to my new course, How to Make a Confident Career Move. This is a free course and it's applicable no matter what kind of career move you're looking to make, whether it's a job change or a career change or anything in between, really. Uh, in the seven-day course, I go through what it takes to make a career move in today's fast-changing global economy where, you know, the the tactics that we may have learned a few years ago, it may not be as effective anymore. But if we have a solid strategy, that always works, right? So that's what I focus on on this course. I deconstruct the process and share with you the five key elements, timeless elements that you'll want to plan for when you're making a career move. So you can sign up for the course at secondbreaks.com forward slash free course. That's one word free course. And uh, I hope to see you inside How to Make a Confident Career Move. Okay, today my guest is Melissa Dinwiddie, who is truly one of the most, if not the most, creative person I know. And I'm so excited to introduce you to her because I... I often have conversations with people and they tell me that they have a creative side that they haven't been paying attention to. And and uh, sometimes they feel as if that creative side is lost to them, like more than likely languishing in gray cubicles and conference rooms because, I mean, honestly, let's face it, those don't really lend themselves well to inspiring creativity, right? Although I do know someone who tells me she's absolutely creative with her Excel work. So there you go. You'll always find creativity anywhere you look if you really want to be creative. Even those PowerPoint slides, right, can bring out your artistic side. <laughs> so anyway, let's get back to Melissa. Um, she's an artist, a speaker, a performer. She's a happiness catalyst and a creativity instigator. I love that one. She's the host of the Live Creative Now podcast, and she's the author of the book, The Creative Sandbox Way, your path to a full-color life. In our chat, Melissa and I talk about how we all are creative people to begin with and how we can nurture back that creative side and, most importantly, tune out those nasty gremlin voices in our heads uh, we also talk about what it means to pursue creative work and how we can balance that with this concept of practicality and, um, and how we can share our work with the world, even if, even if we don't feel it's quite perfect yet. Although, you know, between the two of us, I, I don't really think there's such a thing as perfect art because I think as from, uh, as a creator, I think we're always going to want to tweak it a little bit more, make it better some more, you know, and it's never going to end f- from the creator's point of view, I think. And then with respect to the people who are viewing our work or our art, I mean, the word perfect is relative, I think, right? It's it's in the eye of the beholder at the end of the day. So, anyway, Um, If you are hiding your creative side in the closet, or even if you think that you you really aren't creative at all, or you've got no creative juices flowing, I think you're going to enjoy this episode. You just might be surprised. So um, here's my chat with Melissa, and I'll catch you at the back end. Thank you so much for joining me here at Second Breaks. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Well, first of all, you do a lot of different things, right? Um, you sing, you draw, you write, you perform. And so maybe talk a little bit about all the things that you do. And then um, and then also talk a little bit, if you don't mind, how you came about doing all those things. How you came oh about gosh. this particular career path of yours. <laughs>
0: Well, I think, first of all, I think it's really important that anybody who's listening or watching know that for much of my life, I truly believed that I was not creative, not creative. I really believed that I was a uncreative person. So anybody out there, if you are sitting there thinking, well, I'm not creative, this Melissa person, that's all very well and good for her, but I'm not creative, that was me. And what what I really feel like I was put on the planet here for is to impress upon people that each and every one of us was born fully creative, Mm. fully creative. And how that manifests, you know, what that looks like is going to be different for each of us. You know, some of us are going to love to draw or paint or sing or garden or I don't know, solve math problems, right? It's going to be different for each of us. But that is the nature of human beings. Mm. We are born curious And wanting to follow that curiosity and that is creativity and that is human nature that can never be taken away from us. It gets tamped down and, you know, kind of quashed and squashed Mm. in school and adulting, right? We are taught to not be creative in school. We're taught to uh, conform and to please a single authority figure in the teacher, right? To get the A, to do what has been done before really well. We are not encouraged and taught to push the envelope, to do things differently, which is creativity, right? To do things that haven't been done before. We're taught to follow in a nice neat tidy little line which is the opposite of creativity so as adults our challenge in order to unleash our creativity it's not to learn to be creative it's to unlearn all of the conformity that that we've been you know that we've been taught to do
1: i like that so it's not it's not to learn how to be creative it's to It's almost like getting back to it or going back to something we already know or it's inherent in us.
0: Exactly. Because really, as when we're born as little teeny tiny infants as screaming babies, (laughs) we have this innate entitlement, entitlement to our curiosity and to exploring. That's our creativity. We are entitled to that as babies, as toddlers, as little kids. When you're four years old and there's paint in a bucket and there's some paper, there's some sand, we're entitled. We just like, oh, let's go play with this, right? No, We don't question it. But as adults, we question, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't wanna do it wrong. No, I'm not good enough. All of those negative gremlin voices have invaded our heads, right? And so as adults, we have to unlearn all of that stuff. That's what, that's really, oops, that's really what my book is all about. It's about helping people unlearn all that stuff. I mean, in order to unlearn, we have to, I had to create rules for myself in order to unlearn all that crap that kept me hemmed in. And it's the same for, you know, for all of us adults, that's where, that's where the, the, the guideposts of my creative sandbox way came from. It was to help me unlearn all of those rules of perfectionist paralysis and, oh, there's, you know, oh, I don't want to do it wrong. I, you know, I'm not good enough, so I can't possibly try this thing or do this thing. So, so.
1: when you said that there was a time when you didn't think that you were creative, was it that you all, you had a desire to say, sing, or you had the desire to say, draw or make art, but you wouldn't allow yourself to go there because you didn't think you were good enough. Is that what was going on or, or something else?
0: Yes. And yes, (laughs) (laughs) it was, um, you know, as early as, well, as early as kindergarten and first grade, I remember starting to notice other kids, creative expression you know they're drawing they're singing they're dancing whatever started to notice we start to notice other kids other people when we were really little and probably as early as first grade i that noticing started to be combined with judgment right the comparison trap i call it as early as first grade i remember noticing aaron brody's drawings of race cars And they were so amazing, they were so good, they were so realistic, right? I didn't wanna draw race cars, I had no interest in drawing race cars. But I also knew that I couldn't draw as realistically as Aaron Brody could draw his race cars. So this judgment started to come in, these gremlin voices started invading my head, telling me, you're not as good Mm. as Aaron Brody, therefore, you you can't do this, right? So by the time now, over the years, you know, by the time I got to high school, those gremlin voices had convinced me that other kids were the artists. Therefore, I was not. I didn't I wasn't entitled. I didn't get to do it. Same thing with music. Same thing with writing. Same thing with all of it. All of the things that when I was really little, I used to do because we're all entitled to it. This is what we do as human beings on the planet. We express ourselves. That's what we do. That entitlement just got, you know, I was it was cut away from me and cut away from me and cut away from me until I didn't get to have it anymore. Mm. And so for a good 15 years I was, you know, in this little closet. My 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 creative spirit was trapped in this closet because I just was trapped in this belief system, this mindset that, that it, this was not mine. That this, that creative expression belonged to other people, not to me. And too many people are st- stuck there too many people live their lives stuck there. That creative expression is reserved for the elite few, you know, the special talented
1: ones. No, everybody else, they don't get to have it. Right. Well, I know from personal experience that um, I was discouraged uh, to go there because it's not practical. That's not how you're going to make a living. Right. You know, what are, you, what are you doing there? That's a waste of time. In my case, my creative uh, inclinations were in the writing um, world. And, and I used to hear that, you know, first of all, nobody makes it as a writer. And that's like one in a million chances of anybody making it as a writer. And so therefore go find a job or, you know, right. a, a, you know pursue a career that makes sense. Um, and then, of course, in the corporate jungle, Melissa, it's not exactly the the most conducive, <laughs> unless you count PowerPoint templates or PowerPoint presentations as as creative, right? But um, but you know, as you very well said, we all have that inclination to to start with, and so it's just tapped down or made quiet or pushed down. And so right. I know a lot of people who who have that side. But aren't pursuing it first because, you know, their, their, their day-to-day doesn't allow them to, right. you know, go there. And then there's this thing about, oh, I have no time to yep. perfect my art. And, yep. and I draw and it's ugly or, you know, the, the judgments um, before you even show it to anybody. You're already yes. judging your art. So you're not practicing. And so it's, it's sort of like a spiral. Right? absolutely absolutely and and what you were
0: just saying before about not being encouraged because it's not practical you're not going to make money from it so why do it inside of that and which is so prevalent so many people were discouraged in that way by very well meaning adults and parents right inside of that is this huge assumption huge massive assumption that the only reason to pursue something like a career, you know, writing or creative pursuit. The only reason is because it will feed, you know, it will give you back in pay you back in money. That that is the only reason to do it. And I say BS. That is not the only reason. That is not even the primary reason to do it. That is not the purpose. Now, if you do want to make a living or make side money, make any money from your creative thing. Great, more power to you. I will cheer you on. But that is not the purpose. The purpose to pursue creative play, creative expression is not to make money. It is not to win awards. It is not to impress other people. It is not even to impress yourself. It is not the outcome at all. The purpose to pursue a creative pursuit of any kind is joy. Is to follow your curiosity. It is joy, pure and simple. That is the purpose. That is the purpose. That is why my creative sandbox. I'm looking over here because I have a, a poster of my creative sandbox guideposts on the the corner of, on the edge of my uh, bookshelf over there. Creative sandbox guidepost number one is there is no wrong. This is huge, huge to tattoo on your brain because if you can operate when inside the, the creative sandbox, you know, if, if you're doing brain surgery, then this is not something, this is not a guidepost to operate underneath. <laughs> inside the creative sandbox. When you're on the creative sandbox way, you need to operate with the understanding that there is no wrong because that is the only way that you're going to be able to let go of perfectionist paralysis and move forward. And Creative Sandbox Way guidepost number two is think process, not product. Yeah, if we are focused on- that. The... I
1: remember you talking to me about this m- months ago, but yeah. remind me again, what is, what is this? What is this? Yeah, process, so here's the thing.
0: Product? When we think about when we're focused on the outcome, oh, I want to make something beautiful. Of course you want to make something beautiful. You are a human being with good taste. You you are you have an, an aesthetic eye. Of course you want to make something beautiful and appealing and pleasing to you. Of course you do. That's a given. But when you are focused on that outcome, then it's paralyzing. You want to make something beautiful. You want to make something expert excellent. You want to make something masterful. When that is the focus, it's utterly paralyzing. Because anything that you make, especially in the beginning, is going to be less than excellent. And it's going to shut you down fast because in order to in order to unsuck, you have to let yourself suck first. Or as I like to say, Nobody wants to make crap. Nobody wants to make crap, but we need the crap to fertilize the good stuff.
1: Okay. So I have a question for you here because I remember months ago we were talking about this. And so I'm there with you, uh, with respect to, you know, you have to allow yourself to make crap, you know, uh, even, you know, that's where you start. That's where everybody starts. Right. But then, uh, But then I remember you telling me about sometimes you have, or you actually, I see you do this, you share your art. It doesn't matter if if you felt that it, you know, the judgmental voices in the head might say, this is not perfect, whatever perfect means. But you actually share your art, even though Maybe some parts, a voice in your head might say, Melissa, it's not ready yet. So can you talk a little bit about the balance between um, sharing, having the courage to share, and also allowing yourself to make shit? You yes. Know, you know what I'm ta- talking about. And, I do and know what you're talking that, about. Because the, the judgment thing you yes. know, gets in there somehow. Yep.
0: Oh, my God, it does. Okay, so first I have to preface this by saying that there is absolutely a time to incubate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We need to allow ourselves time to incubate. You know, we have very tender egos and there are there it's necessary at times to incubate without any input from the outside at all. So I need to set that aside, put a pin in that and just know that there are times for that. However, what most of us tend to do is we use that understanding that it is necessary at times to incubate as a way to hide out forever, (laughs) which is not useful. Yes. What I have discovered through a, an intentional practice, an intentional mindful practice of sharing, even when it's crap, sharing my process, knowing that, okay, this is an in-process piece, I very well may paint it over or throw it in the trash, right, or the recycle bin or whatever. In intentional practice of sharing, I have discovered some extremely valuable things. One is, first of all, very, very, I, I've actually never, never, not once, have I had somebody diss something that I've shared. I have had trolls, which mm, are totally different. But I have never had somebody say that piece sucks. That's the thing we're fa- afraid of, right? We're afraid of somebody saying, "Wow, you suck! You're a hack! You don't know what you're doing! You're a lousy artist!" You're never. I have never had that happen. That's the thing we're afraid of. I have never personally experienced that. Instead, what I have experienced, much to my great surprise, is that the things that I have. Mo- that I have had the most, um, concern about sharing and thought, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm sharing this. I'm cringing like, ah, I'm so embarrassed. Those quite frequently are the things that I've had the most positive response.
1: Right.
0: And more than once I have shared pieces of art that I thought to myself, Oh my God, that piece I am painting over it tomorrow. And somebody has said, I want to buy it how much is it? Oh, my
1: goodness. But there's also something about that, that other um, that we all often hear about, even if it's not related to art, this thing about uh, doing it, even if you don't feel that you're ready. Right. So in yes. that context, you might think that the art, your your artwork, your drawing, your the writing or whatever it is, is not ready yet. But yes. it's actually but share it anyways.
0: See, this Even is if the you're thing. Afraid, you, you never share it anyway. You
1: never know
0: how your work might touch somebody else. The only thing that you can count on is that it will touch somebody else. But it will never touch somebody else if you don't share it. And the other thing that I've that I discovered and it didn't take very long, you know, with social media, we can touch people so so easily. It's amazing. I didn't have a big social media. I didn't have a big Instagram following at all when I started doing this. I don't know, a few hundred people or something. Mm -hmm. And strangers started, you know, lifting their thumb to touch the like button, right? Strangers, like how are they finding me, right? There's, they're not currying favor because it's not like I'm some famous person that they're trying to curry favor with, right? So clearly that meant that they saw something of value. They saw something of value in my crappy piece that led them to click that like button. Well, for me, that was hugely, profoundly useful because it allowed me to take off my gremlin glasses, which gremlin tinted lenses, right? It allowed me to take off those gremlin glasses and put on that other person's neutral lenses so I could see my work through their glasses. That's very good. That's it was so amazing because it allowed me to see the work that before all I could see was the lack. Right. Where my work didn't measure up to what I wanted it to be, right? Where I had this vision for what I wanted the work to be and it wasn't measuring up because I'm human, right? And it was all I could see was the lack. What the work wasn't. Well all they were seeing was what the work was. So they were put lifting their thumb and tapping it down on the like button. So I could then see. Well, they saw something to what to like about it. What what were they seeing to like about it, which enabled me to see something to like about it, which gave me more compassion for my work and for me as the imperfect creator of that work. Profoundly spiritual practice. Profoundly spiritual practice to. Regularly, consistently share my crappy work, quote unquote, on social media. Profoundly spiritual practice. I highly, highly recommend it. Scary, but hugely a huge growth experience. That I, I highly recommend it. Um,
1: I so appreciate that when you talk when you were talking about how, you know, the removing the metaphorical glasses and putting on their neutral, because that I think that that's what happens to me because I. I see in my writing what it isn't, uh, you know, and and so I'm judging it and and it's actually me judging my work. And, and, and so I absolutely love how you talked about that. And I'm going to, you know, remind myself of that every time. (laughs) It happens
0: with my, with my blog posts and my podcast episodes as well. Every time I push publish, I think, Oh, it's just, I need to spend like six more hours on this. It's just so flawed. And then I'm like, you know what, it's, I got to publish it and I'll hit the publish button. And the, often the ones that I think are the most flawed and the crappiest, those are the ones that get the most reaction, the most positive response.
1: Right. So there's another thing I wanted to, to chat with you about, because, um, again, in, in, in the traditional corporate world, you know you have one job and that's where you make the money right so um, whereas what we're finding more and more these days is that a lot of people have actually multiple sources of revenues. They're not just one thing. They're different things. Actually, I just, uh, as I was saying this, I just remembered my old dentist when I lived in New Jersey. He was a dentist, but he would often remind me. He would tell me, I'm just a dentist Monday to Friday at 9 to 5. But I sing in the opera. He paints. He does these other. He has this. Entire life outside of his dental practice—that you know—that you would never imagine uh, him having. But and and he would tell me people in the theater when they when they find out that he's a dentist, they also laugh because they they say I can't imagine you being a dentist. But anyway, so back to (laughs) sorry, I segue, I um, but back to this multiple sources of income, and for the for the for the benefit of the people who are thinking, but but how does Melissa? so make money with her art so could you talk a little bit about um the different um ways that you apply your art so i know for example so obviously you write you've written you've recently published a book and i know this isn't the first book right you've written a couple others before i think um it's the first it's
0: the first book book i i do have a an ebook on my website okay um that's a a pdf uh-huh. that will probably come out as a kindle hopefully later this year but but this is the first
1: paper first Uh, like real book (laughs) (laughs) um i was telling someone i can't say she wrote the book because it's a pretty people it's pretty it's a pretty book it's not just a write. it's not just the words but the artwork in this book is i i I think i told you this your table of contents alone is the most creative table of contents (laughs) i've ever seen in my whole life but anyway so you write (laughs) Um you also sing, don't you? You sing? I do. Um so are you part of a band or you are you you sing solo or
0: Um I am not part of a regular band when when I and I haven't been singing a lot lately but when I was singing more more regularly I would put a band together like I guess you could sort of call it a pick up band. <laughs> I would put a band together when I, when I had a gig. So, but I was, when I sang more, more regularly, it was mostly jazz standards. And then, um, a lot of, I started writing my own material. So when I was singing jazz standards, I would put a a band, you know, I would, I would basically hire guys according to what the needs were. So I would, you know, bring in a guitar player or a piano player, maybe a bass player and a drummer, depending on what the needs were. And then I started doing more solo work, me and my ukulele, and then I also do looping with uh with my iPad and um sound system. Oh
1: my goodness. See guys so. how creative she is. So um and then of course you 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 draw or you paint right mm-hmm. and then um and i think you also coach creatives right you 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 coach other creatives and you hold regular workshop creative workshops am i saying it right i well the
0: kind of the main thing right now is i have an online community called the for women called the creative sandbox community which is where we put the like the principles from the book that's kind of the community that i have that puts like all the stuff in the book into practice. And then I have a, right now I have an annual in-person retreat. That's a five day retreat that I host about a half an hour away from my home that, um, that I do, um, in the fall. And we'd love to be doing retreats like that more often. Right now it's once a year. And then the big thing I'm working on this year is getting out and speaking more to high schools and colleges and in corporate settings and organizations and conferences and stuff like that.
1: Right, right, perfect. And so the, the audience are mainly um, <clears throat> are they particular to
0: painters or 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 No, no, it's um it's really kind of it's I see it as sort of three kind of types of people, but they're really the same person but on different parts of a journey kind of the earlier part of the journey is the person who identifies as you know I don't I kind of think I'm not creative but I really wish I were Uh maybe I'm creative but I'm afraid that I'm not kind of where where I was like 20 years ago so that's kind of at the starting more, the starting part of the journey. Then there's a the person who identifies as, I know I'm creative, I'm just not doing my creative thing as much as I would like. Hmm. So maybe because there's just not enough time. I just don't feel like I have time to do it. Or maybe because I just don't feel like I'm good enough. Those gremlins of self-doubt are going crazy, you know, or maybe because, oh, what's the point? that um, lack of purpose gremlin is going crazy, Uh, the comparison trap gremlin, you know, all of those mindset issues Mm -hmm. are going nuts. Then there's, if you go further on the the journey, the path, there's the person who has taken that uh, identity as a creative and taken it even further and has turned it into some kind of creative career. Mm -hmm. So maybe as a copywriter or a graphic designer or a professional artist, even um, a musician, so some kind of, um, or an interior designer, some kind of creative professional. They've taken their love of creative expression, and they figured out how to make money from it. But now all of their creative energy is going to put food on the table and to serve their clients. And they're no longer feeding their creative soul. And they are burned the heck yeah. out. Which what after the play part of this scenario, right? Exactly. They got into this uh, career that they have because they love creating, but they forgot to feed their soul, and now they're miserable. And so those are basically the the kind of the three sort of avatars yeah, that I serve.
1: This leads me to this other question that I'm really curious about because, I mean, I, as you know, Melissa, a, a couple of years ago, I allowed myself, I allowed my, I gave myself permission, finally, <laughs> to go there. Um, yeah, and, and so I've been um, indulging my, my creative part more and more. I'm listening to my creative parts and my avenue is really written, right, written word. Um, but it feels very much um, a solitary sort of work as compared to my life when I was in the corporate arena where you're always surrounded by people in a conference room. So um, can you talk, is it really, is creative work really solitary and where do you get the supportive community? And I think you talked a little bit about um, a community that you've built or you've alluded to a a creative community, support community that you've built.
0: Yeah, well, is creative work solitary? Of course, it depends on the, the creative work. I mean, some some kinds of creative work like dance, off you know, or or orchestral music, or you know, band music or something, uh, is is collaborative, mm-hmm. right? So it really depends on the creative work. But a lot of creators work in isolation most of my work is done in isolation right here in this studio. So a lot of us do work in isolation. Writers are a really great example. A lot of painters, you know, a lot of solo musicians, right? We work alone. And a lot of us thrive, you know, I'm an introvert. So hard as that is to believe if you meet me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm probably actually an ambivert, but I identify more on the introvert side of the spectrum than the extrovert side of the spectrum, even though I'm a speaker and a performer. Um, what people don't understand about introverts who are performers is that when we perform, we are in control. (laughs)
1: That is so true.
0: (laughs) Anyway, it's, it's, um, It can be really challenging because one of the things that can also feed us and keep us going and is necessary to keep us going in a world that is so confused about creative expression and gives us so many mixed messages about creative expression and the value of creative expression is community. We need creative community. We need it to boost us up, Mm -hmm. to support us, to encourage us, to keep us moving forward and to help us know that we're not alone. Right? So, so, so important. Whether we find it locally, whether we have, you know, a close friend who can who we can talk to and, you know, share, spill our guts to or whatever, or whether we find it in an online setting like my creative sandbox, it doesn't matter, but we need it. We need it so badly. It's, it is absolutely essential because we are basically um, constantly swimming upstream without... A community of fellow right. creatives,
1: and sometimes just knowing that what you're going through is not unique—that other people have yes. felt that too, or have gone through it, or it's invaluable. You know, yeah, exactly. One last thing, uh, Melissa. I know before I let you go because I know you're a very busy woman. Um, if I throw out that phrase "meaningful work" to you in the context of your creative work, what might that mean to you? There are traditional roles that people, you know, naturally associate to having meaning, like you know, if you're saving lives um, or you're inventing great things. But for a lot of people, they look at what they do, they, what they look at what they do, and they say. I don't do meaningful work or my work doesn't ma- matter. So I wanted to throw it out to you um, and see what you think about that in the context of your creative work.
0: Mm. You know, what's really interesting is uh two, it brings to mind two things. One is I remember reading just in the past, I don't know, a couple years or something, a study of some people who worked at in the, on the cleaning staff of a hospital and I think it was like two, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was like two different hospitals and, and one of the hospitals, um, the, the cleaning staff, they were given like a a survey or something like that. And the, the cleaning staff, uh, believed that they were really integral to helping the, patients in the hospital to get better because they were making the hospital, you know, more beautiful and, and safe and hygienic. And they felt like what they were doing was really important and they felt like their work was really meaningful. And then there were other cleaning staff, maybe as a different hospital who were like, it's just a job and it just pays the bills. And, so they didn't feel like their work was meaningful at all. It was the same job, you know, but it was the way that they approached it was very, very different, right? Because the first group of cleaning staff saw their role as really, really important in the scheme of the, of the hospital and the health of the, the patients there and stuff. So that's the first thing that came to mind. The second thing that came to mind is back when I was just getting started as an artist and I built up before I became a creativity instigator, I actually for oh about a dozen years or so, I built up a business as an artist, as um, a, uh, a ketubah artist. A ketubah is a Jewish marriage contract and it's a traditional part of every Jewish wedding ceremony. And at the time, it was the best way that I could figure out to make a living as an artist in a very expensive part of the world in Silicon Valley. And I was able to make not a great, huge living, but I was able to make a a small living doing that. Um, You mean there are
1: people in Silicon Valley who are not writing apps and... (laughs) (laughs) Amazingly, yes. (laughs) So, but,
0: um, you know, it was a real, it was a real struggle for me emotionally, psychologically, because I felt like the the gremlins in my head told me that I should be finding the cure for cancer or saving lepers or, you know, that, that being an artist was not a worthy thing to be doing. And yeah. And, and I actually, I, I've written about this a lot that, that, it it took a lot for me to get past that. Now I realize, you know, now, now I'm an evangelist for the importance of art and creative expression and how critical it is in our lives and how essential it is for human beings. Now I get it, but it took me a while to really embrace that and own it. And that, that is like my assessment of what meaningful work is. You have to figure out, what are you here on the planet to do? Not everybody is here on the planet to be, uh, you know, finding the cure for cancer or to be a brain surgeon or to save lepers, right? I'm, I was not cut out to be Mother Teresa. I was cut out to be a creative and a creativity instigator. This is the path that I was supposed to be, be on and to be forging. What is the path that you are supposed to be on and supposed to be forging that is your meaningful work maybe it's you know being on the cleaning staff of a hospital maybe it's writing novels maybe it's being you know the the manager at your company who is going to help i don't know the the new people coming on board learn you know, system ABC, or I—I I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know anything about
1: corporations.
0: <laughs> like, what is what is meaningful for you, right? That's that's what you have to figure out.
1: That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Melissa. thank you so much for that. Um, where can people find you? And I'm obviously going to include all kinds of links um, on on the post, but below this video. But um, where can people find you online? Yes. You can
0: find everything over at my website, melissadinwiddie.com. That's hard to spell. The easier way to find it is livingacreativelife.com.
1: Livingacreativelife.com. And you are also on Instagram, you said, right? And we can see yes. some of your uh, artworks through Instagram. Yes, absolutely. I'm at a
0: underscore creative underscore life.
1: Thank you so much, Melissa. This has been great. I appreciate the time that you took to, um, you know, chat with me and second breaks.
0: Thank you so much, Lou. It's been a real treat.
1: So my key takeaway from this conversation is the bit about removing our judgmental glasses because when we have those on, we tend to focus only on what's lacking from our work instead of what it is and how it can be of value to someone else. And as Melissa says, you can never know how your work might touch somebody else, but it will never touch anyone unless you share it. So that's my takeaway. What about you? What's your takeaway from this conversation? I'd love to hear from you. Head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash episode six and leave a comment there. You'll also find the links to everything that was mentioned in today's episode in the show notes, plus the link to my new seven day free course, the one I talked about at the top of the episode, how to make a confident career move. So be sure to sign up for that. Next week, my guest is Adrian Machina, and we're going to talk about what it means to have a portfolio career, how to organize and manage your time when you're juggling many careers, and what financial management looks like when you have many sources of income. Now, I'd like to ask for your help. My goal is to help as many people as I can bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. And this podcast, this work that I'm doing with this podcast is one way that I can help. If you subscribe to iTunes and leave me a rating and a review, those simple and quick steps will help tremendously in getting this podcast in front of those people who could benefit the most who are looking to make a change in their careers and their work life. So I'd really, really appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and go to that tab that says ratings and review. Thank you so much. With that, I'm signing off. I'll talk to you next week keep on shining my friend cool beans
0: this is the second breaks podcast